and welcome to Real Estate Insights, the brand new podcast series from Savills exploring the real stories behind the property headlines and getting to grips with the forces driving property markets. We'll be looking at what's up, down and sideways in the property world and offering you a uniquely Savills perspective on what's coming down the road. And we'll be doing all of that with some of the brightest and best minds in the business and me, Guy Ruddle. Today, with Savile's annual residential forecast freshly published, we're going to be looking at a couple of the key themes from them. And both of them are splits, the one between London and the rest of the country and the one between prime property and the sort of place most of us live in. And we're going to be doing it with two people who have the unenviable task of amassing all the data, calling on their years of wisdom and peering into a crystal ball to work out what's going on. Lucian Cook is Head of Residential Research at Savills and Lawrence Bowles is Associate Director of Residential Research at Savills. Gentlemen, thank you both very much for being here. Before we start, I'm going to try a little trick and I know I haven't warned you about this, but bear with me. I'm going to ask you to come up with a statistic, a Savills standout statistic uh, at the end of this uh, conversation it's in 10 minutes time or something. So can you, while you talk, also think something that sort of that you know that others don't or that you think is underplayed and is important or something like that? Yeah, well, it sounds like a dangerous game to me. Both Lawrence and I are pretty keen on statistics, so we've probably got a few hidden up our sleeves. We might be here for an hour or two. Good, great. So we'll come back to that in a little bit. So you're both uh, from the research team. What's it like? Do you uh, do you all agree all the time? There's a fair bit of healthy uh, academic disagreement within the team. I'm not sure it's ever got particularly personal, although Lucia may disagree. Well, I, I think robust discussion is probably the best way right. of putting it. I think we need a fly on the wall in there. Has there ever been a time in your experience, either of you, when forecasting property prices has been harder? Well, we thought it was last year, actually, when, we, um, when we'd had the Brexit vote. Uh, but I suspect it's probably even more difficult at the moment. And I, I think really that's because in the short term, certainly, what happens to house prices, whether it's at a national or regional level, is heavily driven by sentiment. And sentiment can be incredibly fickle responding to the news agenda. Uh, and of course, a lot of it will depend on the outcome of Brexit negotiations. Yeah, I'm, Lawrence, Brexit, just, it must be just constant, constant the B word. It um, does get a little bit tiresome, admittedly. I think the difference between now and last year regarding Brexit is that uh, I think last year we, we sort of bought into the rhetoric that actually it was all going to be sorted out very quickly. Article 50 would be submitted, we'd be negotiating very briefly, and then we'd be out and it would all be done. I think what this last year has shown us is actually this process has become a lot more protracted. And any certainty we thought we had about timings is, in fact, likely to be much less certain than we previously thought. Yeah. And it's not the only thing that's going on. You've got a minority government. You've got, I know this is Brexit, but you've got Mark Carney not long ago coming out with a, you know, a potential 35% drop in house prices. Yeah, and, and that, that was, must have thrilled you that day. Yeah, that was pretty unhelpful. I mean, I think it's notable that the following day, uh, it was very clear, he made it very clear at his next talk that that wasn't a forecast. Mm. You know, that was an extreme scenario which he was using to test the banks. But just the fact that that was reported on the front page of the broadsheets, you know, ties back into that fickle sentiment thing. It, it, it would have done very little to make people confident. And 
is it the opposite given Brexit at the moment to weather forecasting in that, that, that you're more confident about the longer term forecast than the short term forecast? That's right. Well, certainly in this particular period, the longer term uh, outlook for, for house prices and, and, and transactions and so on are driven by forces that are a lot more clear. So affordability is one that we've been uh, banging on about for a number of years now. But that in particular is likely is, is what's likely to be shaping the housing market over the longer term. And that we do have a lot more visibility on than, say, the day-to-day uh, negotiations regarding Brexit. So let's get to the, to the nitty-gritty then of, the, uh, of this forecast, uh, or these forecasts, because there's lots of different numbers in there. We won't go through them all in, in great detail, but would it be fair to, to say that sort of the headlines are that, you know, we're not looking at much growth in London over the next five years, and probably a bit down initially, but the further you get away from London, the better the picture looks. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And that is a reverse of what we've seen probably for the previous 12 years. We've reached a position in London where affordability is stretched, particularly when you go to get a mortgage and uh, the person providing that mortgage stress tests, stress tests, sorry, whether you can afford it if interest rates were likely to rise. And that's really beginning to act as a break on the London market. But of course, all of that house price growth that you've seen uh, over the period of the last decade or so also means that that market's more exposed to some of this fickle sentiment that we've talked about. Right. Because you know that, that growth over the last it has been a lot, hasn't it? You know, was it said at seventy five percent growth in the London housing market in the last ten years? It depends on uh, depending on which index you look at. It's around sort of, uh, that sort of seventy percent level over the last ten years. That is um, quite some way off the uh, our forecast for London for the next five years, which is um, some, somewhat less. Uh, which uh, what are we saying? Sort of four five percent. We're we saying four point five percent in London yeah. over the next five years. So somewhat, it, it's the slowest region in the country for house price growth. There, we're predicting. Uh, UK prices on average to rise by 14.8%. But as you said earlier, as you get further away from London, through the Midlands and through the north of England in particular, there we're forecasting uh, higher levels of growth over those next five years. And of course, London, still very, very strong um, economy generally, still attracts a lot of um, graduate talent as the first place uh, to work and has a huge amount of equity in existing housing wealth and is fundamentally undersupplied. We're just not building enough houses in London. So all of those things support a degree of stability in that market. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Lawrence? Is I, th- that- <clears throat> I think it's also worth bearing in mind that London is, um, as a region, as a city, it's, it's far from homogeneous. And you've got areas within central London which are extremely highly priced and where pr- further price growth may be, may be limited by affordability, but actually areas of an outer London where actually housing is still relatively affordable. And as we see improvements in infrastructure with Crossrail or Crossrail 2 and so on, or as we see uh, efforts to improve the quality of places in outer London, as we see more more investment in retail and office developments around there, then we could see faster than average house price growth in those locations as well. Do you want to name some names? Uh, I'm particularly fond of the the east side of the uh, Crossrail route. I'm trying to remember what the names of the stations are along there, but Manor Park, uh, Ilford, Harold Wood and so on. I think the connectivity that Crossrail provides in those locations um, will attract a lot of interest from people looking to get into central London quickly. Presumably it's not just London. Presumably the, yeah. the, the, you could have the same in, in the rest of the uh, rest of the uh, country, can you? Yeah, uh, I mean, and, I mean and, a, a, absolutely. When you go to the northwest, for example, we think that Manchester is likely to lead the house price growth. When you talk at the Midlands market, I think you know what you'll see is the rise of the cities that compete with London for talent. Yeah. 
um, and therefore high earnings that drive house price growth. So Manchester, Birmingham in particular, already in previous previously in, in the last part of the housing market, we've seen that work very strongly in the favour of places such as Bristol, for example. And I think it's then moving on to the to the next cities to see that. Thinking of Birmingham in particular again, actually, there's that, a similar infrastructure story in that you've got this whole uh, area to the east of the city called Digbeth, where, as you see Curzon Street Station regenerated as a result of HS2, that opens up an entire quarter of the city that was previously quite disconnected by train lines and so on. So there's real opportunities for price growth there as well. And the other thing about the the whole market, not just London, but, but the rest of the country, is it's not just about prices, is it? it's about how much activity there is going on. And is, is there still a lot? Because you do hear people saying, oh, no one's buying houses anymore. Well, the market certainly hasn't grown to a halt. The best statistics you can get on transactions come from revenue and customs. And those figures would say transaction levels are still, across the country as a whole, at about 1.2 million a year. They're down by between 6 and 7% since the referendum. But we've been quite surprised at how robust the market is. Now, parts of the market clearly have become needs-based, much more based around things like death, debt and divorce, the things that we don't like talking about a great deal. Uh, But a lot of the other market, first-time buyers, for example, continue to be helped by help to buy. A lot of money still being put forward by the bank of mum and dad to get people on the housing market, despite the fact that the barriers of getting on still seem relatively high. I suppose the two things that have changed dramatically, the first one is that mortgage buy-to-let activity is much, much less. They've been hit by a series of tax measures. Um, And the other one is that the people already on the market are just trading up much, much less often than they did, say, prior to the the credit crunch. It's worth bearing in mind that that mortgage buy-to-let market is only a very small proportion of the overall market. It's the vast majority of transactions come from those first-time buyers and and mortgage home movers. And a brief word about Scotland. You're saying about 18% growth over the next five years in Scotland, which is sort of in the middle, really isn't it? It's yeah. slightly lower than some, some of the bits of the north, but north of England, but, but, but still pretty healthy. Yeah, and I think, you know, Scotland traditionally has been one of the last markets in the cycle to see that, that boost of house price growth. And that's why in this particular five-year period, it doesn't sit at the top of the tree, whereas it is um, where it is the northwest. You would expect in Scotland, as you always do, that price growth to be driven by the two main cities, Edinburgh and Glasgow. And to an extent within the prime market, so the upper end of the market, probably the top 5% of the market in Edinburgh, that market actually has been pretty strong over the period of the last 12 months, whereas across a lot of the rest of the country, we've seen a softening in price growth. So let's talk a little bit about the the prime market, because I did say at the beginning that this is the other split that's going on, that prime is is, is sort of divorced from the the main market, the market that most of us would recognise from where we live. I suppose that's true, but it's particularly true in London, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, just take the period since June 2014, yeah, since June 2014, the prime central London market, so that very expensive market, primarily in City of Westminster and Kensington and Chelsea, have seen prices fall back by between 18 and 19% on average. By contrast, across the rest of the London market, over the same period, they've gone up by something like, eight, like 18%. And that reflects some unique factors in that market, particularly taxation, uh, increases in rates of stamp duty, and for the overseas buyers, much greater exposure to capital gains tax and inheritance tax. Right. And that's so that's looking you know, how that's we've looking got to where, we, where we've got to. 
But so you're saying the prime forecast was out a few weeks ago, and you're saying what twelve a plus of twelve percent, twelve and a half percent for prime London, central London, compared to this four percent for the, for London normal. So I think it's really you know that's a function. It's a different start point. You know you're coming from a period where you've already seen a price correction, which is comparable in scale to previous downturns. So we're we're reasonably confident that given the track record of central London, which is phenomenal, um, between five and a half and a six percent house price growth above the rate of inflation on average average between 1979 um, and 2014. Uh, And it's that track record which really underpins the the forecast we're putting in for that market. Gents, we could talk all day, but uh, you wouldn't be getting your jobs done if we did. So we better better wrap it up at this point. So do you remember I asked you earlier for a surprising statistic, a Savile's standout... I don't know, it doesn't have to have a name, but we'll call it the Savile's standout statistic. Uh, Lawrence, you go first. What have have you got for us? So mine is... um, just a very big number, um, £7.14 trillion. Pounds. Wow. And that is the total value of all housing within the UK. Now, to put that into some kind of context, because it is a very large number, um, that is more than the total value of all of the companies in the FTSE 100 and the FTSE 250. It is more than Apple, Google, Amazon, all Bitcoin ever produced, and the International Space Station combined. So we're talking about a truly vast uh, amount of wealth, uh, amount of value uh, tied up in UK housing stock there. That's fantastic. You're never going to beat that, Lawrence. Well, and, and to be honest, I'm a little upset with Lawrence because he's pulled that one out of the bag and he's given me very little room and anywhere to go. Uh, but I'm going to go with the amount of stamp duty which is raised from two London boroughs. So again, we're going to go City of Westminster and Kensington and Chelsea. Um, and, t- and in 2017-2018, that figure was over... A billion pounds, yeah. and that's more than Wales, and the Northwest, and the Northeast, and Yorkshire and Humber all added together. Those are seriously big numbers, and probably a perfect place to end this episode of Real Estate Insights, gentlemen. Thank you both very much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. If you want to get hold of the full report and delve into the detail of Savile's annual residential property forecast, there's a link in the description of this episode of the podcast, and you can go to the Savile's website, savills.co.uk. And if you want to make sure that you know more than anybody else around the dinner table when talk inevitably turns to property, then please subscribe to us and make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can do that using your usual podcast provider. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.